All right, welcome to today's podcast. With us, we have David McPeak, who's the author of a column in Incident Prevention Magazine titled The Art of Safety, A New Hierarchy in the December-January issue of IP. David's column can be found each month in, in IP Magazine and is the author of two books, also the host of the IPI Forum, which is a monthly webinar series found on IP Institute, and the Director of Professional Development and Education at the IP Institute. Welcome to the podcast, David, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on, Dick. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so today we were going to cover your article um, in that uh, December-January issue that that just came out and, uh, you know, give folks a little deeper dive. Uh, we have some pre-selected questions that we want to go through and um, get your take on it since, since you're the author and understand, uh, you know, kind of why you wrote this article. So um, to kick it off, uh, you draw a line above administrative controls on the hierarchy of controls. Can you elaborate on why distinction is crucial for achieving exceptional safety? Yeah, great question. Good one to start with. The hierarchy of controls, yeah, we draw a line above administrative controls, right below engineering controls and safety devices. The reason for that is if you think about everything below that line, which is basically administrative controls, warning devices, and PPE, that's compliance. And there, while there's nothing wrong with compliance, all standards are written to provide a minimum level of protection. And what you find a lot is people settle for compliance. They, they put on their PPE, they, they feel protected. I'm backing up a vehicle, I've got a spotter, I feel protected. Um, following whatever rules and procedures there are for something, and I feel protected. And to a certain extent, you are. But what's really important when we get above the line and we think about things like engineering controls, safety devices, and we think about words like substitution, reduction, and elimination. And if we identify hazards as energy and, and risk is how much energy there is or could be along with how we're, along we're exposed to it. And the key point and a step that I think most people miss, reduce the amount of energy if you can't eliminate it and then reduce the exposure. And that's almost always possible, but it's a conversation skipped a lot of times because again, we're settling for the PPE below the line. So that's probably in my mind, the key point of this article is above the line thinking and above the line protection. So if I hear you right, PPE should really be a last line of defense. It will protect you, but it really shouldn't be your uh, your only plan. Yeah, it's interesting. Our our one of our most popular products right now is a keynote speech for corporate events and conference kind of stuff and whatnot. But the title of that is PPE always use it, never need it, and it's really impactful and it's fun to watch people's reaction to it because a lot of times you find people have even been trained. Here's a hazard. Here's what PPE you put on. You're protected. Let's go to work. And when you walk them through the framework and the hierarchy of controls and explain how it's it's supposed to work and their ability to protect themselves and really enhance their safety, because they're already doing all the other things, right? I mean, they're just rules, procedures, and PPE. It's stuff they know. It's what they have to do. That's why the art of safety is the title of this series that this article was a part of. And there's a reason for that, right? So that's everything below the line to a certain extent you could say is the science of safety. We understand the hazard. We understand how to protect ourselves. The art of safety is getting really good at substitution, reduction, and elimination. That's great. I mean, I think hopefully, you know, people take a lot from this. Uh, you know, people are trained differently um, depending on who their boss is or what company they're at. But yeah, PP really should be the last line of defense. Your article emphasizes leading and protecting 
uh, people over managing robots and policing systems. How can safety leaders cultivate a culture that prioritizes uh, human well-being over efficiency and production pressures? Uh, another good question. And so uh, I'll start with, I personally think we get that message wrong a lot in terms of how we prioritize safety, production, and efficiency, right? All those are measures that are extremely important. People need to work safely. People also need to be productive and they need to be efficient. They need to deliver a quality product and a high level of customer service. And if the message we send is perceived as you have to sacrifice one for the other, I think we're getting that message wrong. Part of the problem and the main thing I think organizational leaders, safety folks, managers need to understand is the fact that it's happening because most of the time with very good intentions, we're doing these things trying to please the system rather than focus on protecting workers. And we don't realize real simple example of that job briefings, really, really important tool. People use it to plan their work, make sure everybody's on the same page, identify control hazards, emergency action plans, all those. It's a really good safety tool and it's important, but where we tend to gravitate towards is pleasing the system and focus on the form and the documentation where we protect workers is when we focus on the conversation and the mutual understanding obtained from it for the folks in the field. And I think that is a very simple and good gauge is think about how do you evaluate job briefings? Is it based on discussion, understanding, and execution of the work plan? Or is it based on, I'm happy I've got a form and the documentation looks good. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's with, it, most of the time it's with very good intentions that these things happen. It's just, we don't realize what we're doing. And then the more we focus on the form, guess what happens in the field? They're focusing on the form and they're focusing on the documentation and they get it right. And they skip what's really important, which is the conversation. And again, the mutual understanding that comes out of it for the folks doing the work. Yeah. And I've heard too, it's kind of like checking a box in some cases where they, they did the job briefing and technically it was, uh, you know, it was filled out, but it was just to check a box and get through it. Um, you know, really there is a reason behind it, you know, keeping people safe, but it goes full circle in the field and um, on that job briefing. No, no, yeah, training is another good example. Uh, it made me think about that when you said check the box, right? We send somebody to a class or through a course and they complete the training, they complete the course, check the box, they're trained. Part of training has to be evaluation and whether that knowledge is transferred to the job. And if it's just a great example of whether we're happy pleasing the system, check the box, our training's complete, or we're protecting the worker, do they have the knowledge, skills, and abilities they need to do the task that they're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Understanding, I think, is a key component to that training. So as technology and industry practices evolve, how do you see the art of safety framework adapting to new challenges and emerging hazards? So that is, is a huge issue. And what I mean by that is, it's a really good thing. Organizations have gotten a lot better at their understanding of leadership, at their understanding of culture, human factors, human performance improvement, those sort of things. In other words, they've gotten better at protecting people. Technology, we've got vehicles that keep us from crashing. We've got 100% fall protection. We've got chaps, cut-resistant gloves, things that protect us. And you could sum all that up by saying this. The, the problem that that creates is the more people feel protected by other people and things, the less they feel the need to protect themselves. And so when you think about the art of safety, which is really understanding how to 
well, first of all, how to understand people, how to lead people, how to develop people and how to protect people. That's where, again, back to that above the line thinking on the hierarchy of controls, it's real easy to get below the line when I 100% fully trust my PPE to protect me. And so consistent gloves, right? I put them on. I no longer need to worry about proper work methods and all this kind of stuff. If I make a mistake, gloves going to protect. And I have that attitude and I start to think that my hands are invincible because of this PPE where in reality they're not. And so the more I think that folks can understand their need to protect themselves and the art of safety, energy reduction, elimination, substitution, those are such, I mean, just three key words that honestly, you don't even think about if you're just putting PPE, eliminate or reduce hazards and risk. How can we substitute something less hazardous? How can we reduce the amount of time we're exposed to this hazard? Yeah. Um, that reminds me of, of an example. What you said is, you know, I have the, um, you go to merge lanes, right? And you have the uh, detection on your mirrors for, you know, cars in your blind spot. I tend to, you know, ever since those came out, I never had those until the most recent vehicle. And using those, you, you trust them, right? You, you know, instead of looking back to confirm your blind spot, I look at that and I say, oh, well, it's not going off, right? So I'm no one's in my blind spot. But that technology could fail. It could be inaccurate. You know, weather could maybe interrupt it. So you can't rely on technology. You need to, it, it can help aid, right? But it shouldn't be your uh, last line of defense. Yeah, I mean, please don't. But yeah, absolutely. I'm not vilifying the quality of the protective equipment. And, and like I said, I'm encouraged by organizational growth and how safety programs have improved. The example you gave is great. Those things are extraordinarily helpful. The problem is, I mean, you know, what if somebody's coming up beside you 80, 90 miles an hour and it doesn't have the time it takes to work or yeah. as humans, part of our understanding of human performance, right? We tend to develop habits and work out a habit pattern. So the example you get, not all vehicles have the same technology. So I get used to and working out of habit, relying on that sort of technology when I'm changing lanes or whatever my task may be. Then I get in another vehicle that doesn't have it. It's not there. That starts to create problems. It, we need to, it's called defense in debt. There's not one thing we do. We rely on protective equipment. We rely on technology, but most importantly, the art of safety, we got to rely on ourselves and we've got to figure out ways to protect ourselves. And we can't just while we're on that subject, driving's a great example of that. We can't assume that other people are doing the right things and that they will protect us. We can't assume that people see our turn signal and they'll slow down and let us move over. We can't assume somebody's going to stop at a red light. We can't, there's a lot of things we can't assume the collision avoidance system is going to work a hundred percent of the time. That to that end again is, is why I title this the art of safety. That's us figuring out ways to protect ourselves and being responsible and that they're taking complete ownership of everything we do and protecting ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So your book, uh, Frontline Incident Prevention, explores similar themes. Briefly, uh, additional insights and practical strategies. Does the book offer that? Does it go beyond the article, I guess, extend the article on? Yes, it does. So that book presents safety in a way of, of here's six of the greatest challenges to safety. I call them hurts because everything we do is a hurdle. When you think about track and field, if I'm standing still and I try to jump over the hurdle, that's really hard to do. The runoff is what really gets me over hurdles. And so it starts by defining that runoff as 
creating culture, developing relationships. Culture is what drives behavior. A lot of the things we talk about are so there's six chapters in that book. Each chapter presents a hurdle and then the run up. And so this is actually this hierarchy of controls is the very last chapter. So it starts with leadership and then it gets into human factors. The concept we discussed a little earlier, of pleasing systems, protecting workers, risk tolerance, and unnormalizing deviation, hazard identification, and, and then gets into the topic covered in this article titled A New Hierarchy, but it's not really a new hierarchy. It's just a new application of the hierarchy that above the line thing. Yeah. Um, and you're actually the author of, of two books. Is that correct? Yes. If folks wanted to continue that, you know, article out, like you said, is it's extended out in your book. I think you have a, a holiday sale going on right now where you have the books priced at $7.99 and they can get both of them if they're interested. Yes. Yes. So we, yeah, I think on Amazon, they're both priced at uh, $12.99. And I was trying to do the math in my back of my mind while you were asking the question, but let's just say that $7.99's a pretty darn good discount. So yeah, I think that's while supplies last and, and inventory holds up, but uh, yeah, it's a good opportunity to, to save a little bit of money. Yeah, we'll be sure to link them in, in the uh, description here. Um, if you want to get them on Amazon and you have Prime, that's great. Uh, we also have them on our Shopify account. Uh, you can purchase both together and we'll mail them out to you, uh, you know, at the discounted holiday rate. But look for that in the uh, in the description here. I wanted to cover, you know, and kind of in the intro, we talked about this uh, IPI forum. Um, you offer a free webinar. Uh, that kind of goes into these concepts, and I didn't necessarily mention this. You do the frontline fundamentals, which is also somewhat of an extension of your your articles in the IP magazine. Uh, what specific takeaways can listeners expect to gain um, from attending those webinars? Yeah, first of all, that's such a great opportunity, and we do that as a service. It's free, so I always promise people if you come to it, you'll at least get what you pay. But outside of that, what we try to do, I mean, the, there's only so much in a book or a magazine that you can really go into the details and the, the discussion about how it applies. And so that's what we try to take those webinars and do is what does this actually look like for your folks in the field doing the work and how does it apply to some specific task? And then I think too, I mean, the, the obvious benefit of the webinar is real-time interaction, both with myself as the article of the column, but equally important with peers. And it gives people an opportunity to ask questions and, and network. And it's amazing. Sometimes the insight, what I, I always approach those is seeing what I can learn from the group. And I always do because they're the ones applying this stuff every day. They're the ones that really know it. And so I invite everybody to come not only to see what you can learn, but to see what value you can add for others and start that network that we continue once a month also in the IPI forum that you mentioned, which is also free and a really good opportunity to come and just ask questions and network and we provide a panel of subject matter experts for that and those typically go over pretty well and people tend to enjoy those and get a lot out of them and come back so definitely encourage folks at least the thing i always challenge people is it's free there it's an hour come once if you like it come again if you don't know yeah absolutely it's always a good uh you know, it's hard to find good networking opportunities. Um, th there's definitely some out there, but where you get your peers, where you get interaction. I know a lot of times that I join webinars and you kind of sit there, um, you don't get a chance to ask any questions. You got to follow up uh, later. 
Um, so being able to submit questions ahead of time, mind you, and both during uh, the actual webinar and get experts. I mean, that's basically the entire webinar. You're you're going through and answering questions that people have and, you know, understanding, I mean, kind of what, what today's topics are, what today's challenges are from the safety professionals in the industry and um, how you do things in, you know, rural, uh, you know, Idaho versus California may be completely different and maybe you get an idea for your safety program. So I think it's really valuable for folks to join and I'm on there every, you know, it's uh, IPI forums monthly. Uh, I should add that the frontline fundamentals is bi-monthly and go to ip-institute.com to register. Uh, you can register once for all of them. They're all done in Zoom. Um, you get reminders, you know, they're going to be via uh, email. Um, so yeah, I highly encourage everyone to join those. So finally, with the message of hope or optimism, uh, would you like to have listeners, what would you like listeners to have um, leaving this uh, podcast regarding the future of workplace safety? I'll say two things. One, because you were just talking about the network and, and I want to thank everybody and for those uh, that maybe haven't experienced any of that, the community within the IP Institute and the community of folks that have the CUSP certification is just a, folks that are just so willing to come and learn and share and network. So if you haven't taken advantages of those opportunities, that's one thing that really gives me a lot of hope and optimism is just the eagerness to learn and share of folks in this industry, which is an industry, obviously folks every day do a lot of very, very hazardous tasks. And they're exposed to a lot of, as the article talks about forms of energy, and there's a lot of risk involved in it. So they, obviously the most important thing, purpose of this article, they've got to be really good at protecting themselves, but we've got to be really good at protecting them too. Something I was thinking about the other day, just looking at some statistics. So kind of in order. And, and some of this is whether you're talking about minor injuries or major injuries and fatalities and whatnot, but generally speaking, you're most likely to get injured on the road. Next is at home. Next is at work. Now really think about that. Where do most folks spend at least the time they're awake in a given week, the overwhelming majority of their time and in that time, where are they exposed to by far the most hazards? And that's at work. Yeah. So that's a long way of saying a lot of what we're already doing works and works really well. And even if you look at industry t statistics and OSHA rates, which I understand are lagging indicators and whatnot, but per 200,000 workers or man hours, if your OSHA rates less than one, I mean, that means, you know, that equates to over 99% of most workforces, and this is true, aren't, at least by the OSHA recordable definition, getting hurt. And so what we do works. And the more we understand the art of safety, the more we can enhance it, make it work even better. Incorporate in what we already talked about, the fact cultures are getting better, protective equipment is getting better. The cool thing about hazards, they really don't change. They're very quantifiable and predictable. Our perception of them sometimes changes in a negative way and whatnot, but because they're quantifiable and predictable and we can protect ourselves from them, it's just, we can do it. Whether you want to define that as zero harm or protecting people and 
that's the other thing that I love in our C5 leadership model. We, we, it's five words that I won't get into the details of it, but caring is in the middle of it. So everything you do as a leader or safety professional or a teammate of someone revolves around how much you care. And I think historically we've limited our definition of safety and the goal of safety is protecting people and everybody going home with all their fingers and toes and in the same shape that they came in. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's half the equation in caring. The other half of it is encouraging growth. So if you really care about somebody, you want to do two things. You want to protect them, keep them, prevent harm, and you want to encourage growth. The more we understand the art of safety, the more we apply these concepts, the better we get at safety, the more we can do those two things. And then that cycle just builds on each other. Now we've got better people with better protective equipment thinking better. So that's really what excites me is, is we're doing a really good job now and we can do even better. So that's exciting. And the more we can involve the workers in that process, then we're really, really, really getting somewhere. Yeah. I think that, uh, it's self-serving too. You know, when you care about somebody, it feeds, uh, you know, them feeling like they're cared about and doing better understanding and, and doing the same to other folks, you know, um, it's all self-serving when you, when you do that. So caring is a big portion of that and it's probably, uh, left out in traditional models, but in your C5 leadership there. I think it makes complete sense because at the end of the day, getting somebody home is caring. You want to get them home to their family for a lot of reasons for them and also for their own personal self, keeping them safe. So, well, thank you for, for spending time with us and explaining this article. I want to remind everyone to go to incident-prevention.com to view the latest issue of IP Magazine and read David's article uh, in the December-January issue. I also want to mention David and I will both be at the IP Utility Safety Conference coming up in Orlando, Florida on May 21st through the 23rd. It's going to be at a, a beautiful hotel. If you haven't been to the Carib Royale, please uh, look it up. It's a, they got a beautiful pool. They got a beautiful weather. And, and then we're going to do a lot of networking and learning uh, and sharing ideas uh, to promote safety. So make sure to check us out. And uh, Thank you for spending time with us. David, thanks again. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank everybody for listening. Really hope to uh, see you in some of the, the opportunities that we talked about, whether they're conferences or webinars or the education we offer, whatever it may be. But get involved. Get involved. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. And, uh, you know, have a good holiday if we don't hear from folks out there and, and enjoy yourself. And uh, we'll be back in the new year here in 24 pretty quick. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of utility business media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementation.